I'm that guy on a road trip, I really am, especially if I'm listening to a song from high school days, or if I'm on a long trip over Christmas time, and I always sing one of my favorite Christmas songs, Feliz Navidad, Feliz Navidad. Yeah. Watch me, Nene. No. Yeah, I have some family members in here right now, or like the sisters, like... Hey, what else are you going to do on a road trip unless you sing along with the music? Am I right? All right, so good. Well, we're all today on a road trip. We're all on a destination. And it matters who we're focused on as we're on that trip. And it matters on who we're we're riding with. Because of the, the life that we're on right now, this destination, this road trip, that all is part of an adventure is that the adventure that we're taking right now does affect our seen world. But we're also impacted by the unseen world. Last week, if you were here, Wilson, one of our pastors, talked about worship. And I'm going to talk about worship today from the standpoint that we are participating in something that is far beyond us. That we focus a lot on the realities that are in front of us, the everyday But our relationship with Jesus Christ impacts something we don't see, the the realities that are unseen. And we're going to be looking at how a a nation of people, the nation of Israel, were impacted by God and a rest stop along the way. But before we jump into that story, I'd like to pray together. So Lord, thank you for laughter today. Just thank you for the way that you uh, prepare our hearts just to receive from you. And we just say yes to you today. We trust you. Holy Spirit, come and just uh, open our hearts right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, Wilson talked about worship as sacrificing ourselves or offering ourselves. And they were able to do that as an act of intimacy, is that as we offer ourselves to God, we draw closer to Jesus. And that by dying on the cross, Jesus opened up the door for freedom for us, is that not only have we received forgiveness of sins, we're able to become aware of truly who we are. We gain a new awareness of who we are in Christ, of how God has created us. And knowing where we stand with Jesus gives us greater freedom to live life, because as people of value and worth, we can go into the community, we can go and live life in our families in total freedom. So to continue talking about this aspect of worship, how many of us realize that not only do we walk in freedom, but as we're worshiping together, as we're living our lives with a focus on God, is that we are battling the enemy, the dark powers that stand against God and that resist us. And today as we focus on what trusting God and focusing on God in the middle of our everyday lives is that we're pulling down powers and structures that have been worn against God for years and years. I'd like to focus our story on Joshua chapter 5 and chapter 6. 
And it's going to come up on the screen behind me. So let's listen to what Joshua encounters near Jericho. Now when Joshua was near Jericho, he looked up and saw a man standing in front of him with a drawn sword in his hand. Joshua went up to him and asked, are you for us or one of our enemies? Neither, he replied, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. Then Joshua fell face down to the ground in reverence and asked him, what message does my Lord have for his servant? The commander of the Lord's army replied, take off your sandals for the place where you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. Now the gates of Jericho were securely barred because of the Israelites. No one went out and no one came in. Then the Lord said to Joshua, See, I have delivered Jericho into your hands, along with its king and its fighting men. March around the city once with all the armed men. Do this for six days. Have seven priests carry trumpets of ram's horns in front of the ark. And on the seventh day, march around the city seven times with the priests blowing the trumpets. When you hear them sound a long blast on the trumpets, have the whole army give a loud shout. Then the wall of the city will collapse and the army will go up, everyone straight in. Israel had just come to a a place called the Jordan River and God had miraculously opened the door for them to cross the Jordan River. So they cross onto this new territory that they've never been in before other than sending spies out to check out the territory. So they come to this resting place called Gilgal. And in this resting place, it's a time not only to rest, but also a time to just focus on who God is, on who God has been in their history. To tell the stories of how God has related to his people and how he's related to them in the desert. And in that setting in Gilgal, the people worship in a way that says, God, we are totally in your hands. Our present, our future, we have to trust you in this. And as they're there focusing in this attitude of worship, Joshua decides to go scout out the territory. See, Joshua is the commander of the Israelite army, and he is facing Jericho, which is a city that had been a famous city for years. It was well fortified. Some people think that the walls were 20 feet thick and at least 25 feet high. So try to picture that in your mind. And you have soldiers who are standing on top of the walls watching everything that's going on. So they're watching Israel out in Gilgal. And Joshua walks up and he meets a man, meets a soldier. And this is no ordinary soldier. You see, throughout periods of Israel's history, God would come and visit people in human form. He would be visible. That visitation was called a theophany. And God would come and and instruct the people or would give them encouragement or hope. And so Joshua realizes that this is no ordinary soldier, that this is God. And he immediately falls face down. And he's acknowledging, God, you're in charge. What do you want to say to me? I'm listening. I'm following you. God in turn tells Joshua that this place is a holy place. Take off your shoes. Take off your sandals. And what God is saying in that moment, that this place is set apart for you and me. Joshua, this is our time. This is our moment for you and I to be together. I'm all you need. I'm going to lead you. 
My presence is going to be there every step of the way. But for right now, just rest in my presence. So God assures Joshua that the battle ahead is already won. The walls of Jericho are going to come down. The battle's won. But in this case, Israel will not be fighting from a military strategy. Israel will focus on the presence of God. Their total focus is to be in this place of focusing on God, trusting him for every step. But God is leading an army against Jericho. Well, if Israel is not fighting, who is? God is commanding an army of angels. And he is going to battle against rebellious angels that are fighting against him. Rebellious angels that are using the power structures of that society to keep people in bondage. Bible scholars from various church backgrounds agree that when angels made the choice to rebel against God, is that they set up a resistance of trying to stop God's advancement of his kingdom, of his rule and his reign at every front. And there would be over certain areas that these angels that were originally meant for good to be governed and helping protect areas became corrupt. And they started using the social structures of that area and started messing with them. Social structures that are meant to, to keep chaos at bay. Structures that hold together the glue of society. Social structures are what authors have called powers are the things like education or morality, community involvement, government, and religion. But when fallen angels start messing with everything, it becomes chaotic. And God is going to war against those evil angels, those rebellious angels that are holding people in bondage. Cities like Jericho have become rebellious under the influence of those rebellious angels. So morality was corrupted. Religion was corrupted. The morality of the time is if I'm going to go and worship, then I schedule time with a prostitute. Or as part of my worship, I'm going to offer a human sacrifice. People would worship idols made of stone and wood. That in one sense, as you look at these idols, they're just harmless pieces of wood or stone. But the evil powers behind them energize with magnetism, this draw, this energy that people just begin to focus, to give their attention, to give their lives to. The government and community involvement. The goal was for kings to rule everything and everyone. And so when alliances were made, it was not on shared resources or friendship, just for the sake of friendship, it was due to bring together alliances to totally dominate. And God's war against Jericho was against these rebellious angels and social structures that continuously corrupted. But Israel is engaging in this battle in a different way. They're to focus on the presence of God. But their response in this worship was one of action. Joshua spends time with God and he comes back with the marching orders. He says, guys, it's a different plan than we were thinking. 
Seven priests, come forward, bring your horns with you. And don't bring the horns that we use for military invasions. Bring the horns that we use for worship services, for our ceremonies. Bring those. And seven priests, you line up and you get ready to blow the horns. We'll put a few armed guards in front of you. And behind you, we're going to put the Ark of the Covenant, which was a box that symbolized the presence of God. And with that box behind them, in essence, the presence of God being in the very middle of that march, they lined up. They had a few more soldiers behind, and, and Joshua gave the instruction, walk around the city of Jericho. But as you're walking, remain quiet. Don't give any shouts, be quiet. So for that day, and for the next six days, once a day, for every day, for six days, this procession walked around the city. Once a day. What do you think they did in other times? They went back to camp. They went back to camp and cooked dinner. They played with their children. They changed diapers and did the laundry. They worked on their tents. All of this normal day-to-day activity with God in the very middle of their camp. God's very presence in the middle of the day-to-day routines. They carried on everyday life with the focus, God, we trust you. We trust you with the next steps, literally and figuratively. We're yours. I wonder what the people of Jericho thought. Here you have a, a city that is well fortified, watching all of this activity in the camp. Watching the people of God responding to God daily. With the focus on, on all that God is doing in their lives. But Jericho... It's just watching. There were opportunities for Jericho to respond, but they didn't. And verses 15 and 20 of chapter 6 tell us that on the seventh day, they, Israel, got up at daybreak and marched around the city seven times in the same manner. Except that day they circled the city seven times. The seventh time around when the priests shouted, priests sounded the trumpet blast, Joshua commanded the people, shout, For the Lord has given you the city. And when the trumpet sounded, the people shouted. And at the sound of the trumpet, when the people gave a loud shout, the wall collapsed. So every man charged straight in and they took the city. So what's the lesson for us? Well, the lesson is, is then in our walking, in our playing of instruments, in our shouting, in our moments of quietness, in our working, in our playing, and living every aspect of our lives, we are trusting God. We are focusing on His presence in the middle of that every day. It's acts of worship. But as we're doing that, we're also participating in a battle. We are participating in the battle to tear down the walls of thinking and acting that resist God and, and resist us. You know, this God war continues hundreds and hundreds of years. And it extends into the New Testament times. When Jesus came to earth, not to just visit occasionally, but he came and lived for 30 years. Totally man, totally God. 
He preached good news. Good news of forgiveness of sins. He healed the sick. He cast out demons. He preached good news to the, the poor. He released the captives. And the New Testament writer Paul writes this in Colossians chapter 2. Paul tells us that Jesus, through his death on the cross and through the resurrection, has totally, ultimately won the battle. The battle is won because of Jesus and all forces that stand against him cannot win. Paul writes, you were dead because you were sinful and you were not God's people. But God let Christ make you alive when he forgave all our sins. God wiped out the charges that were against us for disobeying the law of Moses. He took them away and nailed them to the cross. There Christ defeated all powers and forces. He let the whole world see them being led away as prisoners when he celebrated his victory. Jesus won. Jesus won. And when we trust him, when we offer ourselves to him in, in worship of bowing down, says, God, everything we have and everything we are is yours. We participate in a celebration of freedom. And although evil powers and power structure, rebellious angels know that they are defeated, they continue to battle against God and against us. And it's important for us to recognize as part of our worship, a part of focusing on God is also an awareness of what's happening in the big picture. The big picture of the atmosphere around us or what people have called in the air. Or the heavenlies. It's becoming more aware of what's happening not only in our seen world, but in our unseen world. Think about Christmas time. It may be me, but it seems to me that as I go shopping and people are a little friendlier, there's more of a festive attitude in the air and people smile and say hi. Can any of you relate to that? Feel this? Well, at the same time, it can also be this irritability. There's like a shift that can happen or this people are so rushed or fearful or preoccupied. Have you noticed that? It's almost like in one moment, it's this joyfulness and the next, there's a shift. Something's in the air. Theologian Hendrikus Burkhoff wrote in his book, Christ and the Powers. He shares about an experience that he encountered while he was in Germany under Hitler's rule. He said, when Hitler took the helm in Germany in 1933, the powers of race and state took a new grip on men. Thousands were grateful after the confusion of the preceding years to find their lives again protected from chaos. Order and security were restored. No one could withhold himself without utmost effort from the grasp of these powers had on men's inner and outer life. It's like this pull that kept pulling them into this, this attitude. And while studying, studying in Berlin in 1937, I myself experienced almost literally how such powers may be in the air. At the same time, one has to see how they intruded as a barrier between God's word and men. They acted as if they were the ultimate values 
calling for loyalty as if they were the gods of the cosmos. Did you hear the shift? The sense of safety and security and, and goodness began to take on a life of its own. And we all know what happened with Nazi Germany. Now we may hear that and we say, well, those are big picture things that are occurring. Big picture things that, yes, I'm aware of, but how does that impact me daily? Well, it impacts us daily by our own things that we focus on, the values we live out of. But what values and beliefs that grab us daily? Fear of not having enough. The attitude of superiority that we are somehow better than people that are different than us. A desire, a desire just to get more, to consume more, whether it's food or technology, real estate, money. Now, some of those things are very good. They're values that hold us together. And as a society, we work and, and go and do. But think about the energy behind that. What is it that draws that if I go to work and there's this fear, it's like if I don't just make enough. Or somehow I am not complete enough unless I have this. The energy just draws us like magnets. What's in the air? So how do we battle the powers? How do we stand against the evil forces, these rebellious angels and the way they use power structures against us? Well, we battle by focusing on the presence of God. It's through saying, God, with our entire lives, we yield to you. We trust you. I'd like for you to do an activity with me, if you would. You can remain in your seat, and I'd invite you just to get comfortable. And if you wouldn't mind, if you can hold off going out for coffee for a little bit, or if you've got a device in your hand, a tablet or phone, just lay it down. This will just be a brief activity. So just get comfortable in your seat, and if you'd like to close your eyes, you can. I'm going to read some statements. It's going to focus, the statements will focus on the presence of God. And they're statements about the truth of who we are in Jesus Christ. And I'm going to read the statement twice. I'll read it, and then I'll read it again. So just listen. Here's the first thought. Christ, through his death and resurrection, frees me from the sin that separates me from God. Christ, through his death and resurrection, frees me from the sin that separates me from God. Here's the second thought. Christ frees me to live into the purpose he intended for me. Christ frees me to live into the purpose he intended for me. Next, Christ frees me from the bondage to ways of thinking and ways of living that keep me from giving everything I have as an expression of love. Christ frees me from the bondage to ways of thinking and ways of living that keep me from giving everything I have as an expression of love. 
what response do I have but to worship? What response do I have but to worship? And Lord, we want to do just that. We just welcome your presence and acknowledge your presence here. Just encounter us as we worship by our giving, by our singing. Let us see your focus on us. Open our eyes and our hearts to see you. And we thank you that you see us. You may open your eyes. We're going to continue worshiping as Nick comes up to lead us into a time of uh, offering.